listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Hi, how's it going this morning? Good. I'm Pastor Jason, if you don't know, and, and man, I am so glad to see your face, each and every individual face. I'm glad to see it. That was awkward. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you might not recognize me because I'm, I, I'm wearing a different color flannel today. Normally, I have red and black on, but I got a new one that's white and black, so that's what's different about me, FYI, um, in case you didn't notice. Okay, I shouldn't do improv. Okay, let's stick to the plan here. I'm just kidding. Um, man, so today we're, we're wrapping up our current sermon series, Habits of Grace, and, and I think our teaching team has done just a phenomenal job with this series. Uh, if you missed any part of it, I encourage you sincerely to go back to the podcast and, and, and check it out. Uh, the whole idea of this sermon series is centered around uh, what we in the church have historically called spiritual disciplines. These are things that we do as Christians to continue to grow in our relationship with God, like reading God's word, praying, and regularly uh, being a part of a church community. And, and with our busy lives that we lead, sometimes these disciplines can begin to feel like just one more thing we've got to get done, right? And in the hustle and bustle, they become sometimes low on the priority list. And sometimes we can get into the habit of revisiting them only in a reactionary way. Like sometimes we can get into the habit of, of, of being reactionary towards our spiritual disciplines. What I mean by that is usually when reading the Bible, praying and going to church has gotten lost in the shuffle of life. It's a reaction to something within our own lives that draws us back into it. Like, like maybe uh, your loved one is diagnosed with an, a major illness or you're going through a divorce or, or there's a promotion that's available at work you know, that, that you really want. And, and lots of times when things like this happen, eventually our reaction is like, oh man, I got to get back in church or shoot, I should really spend some time praying about that. And... Uh, and if we're not careful, we can begin to live in this reactionary state when it comes to spiritual disciplines. And, but if we choose to live our lives proactively with these spiritual disciplines by regularly being in God's word, communicating with him in prayer, and, and constantly being a part of his church, not only will our relationship with God deepen, but when life throws us a curveball, our natural reactions will change because we will have allowed the Lord's grace to fully saturate our lives. When you're living a grace-saturated life, guess what? Oh, man. Guess what? Okay, there we go. Peace is easier to come by. Fear and anger loosen their death grip on you. For forgiving those who have wronged you, have, it becomes even easier. When, when the grace of the Lord is fully saturating your life, it, it can't help but spill out. When, we, when we're looking at 
at it that way, when we're looking at spiritual disciplines that way, reading the Bible, praying, and being in church feels a little bit more like, it feels a little less like disciplines and more just like good habits. That's why we've been calling this, uh, this series and spiritual disciplines, we've been referring to them as habits of grace. These aren't just items to do on a to-do list. These are life altering paths that we can choose to walk that will totally change the manner in which our to-do list gets done because we will be on a unique journey of transformation making space for those ha- for, for these habits of grace in our lives doesn't change God's love for us but they do allow for the maximum saturation of his grace in our lives so in review of, of, of just, let's just quickly review the series. So in review on week two and three, Jeff and Ricardo shared about the, the habit of reading God's word. And, and Jeff said this, reading the Bible doesn't make us better people or grant us more favor with God, but it allows us to experience his grace more richly and live in the joy of that grace. And Ricardo said, the Bible is centered around Jesus. Always seek him when reading God's word. Don't just read. Seek God's living word. Meditate in the light of Jesus and behold the glory. Your heart will be astonished. That's so good. I love that. And and honestly, Ricardo is like the last guy on earth I know that uses the word behold. Right? (laughs) I was proud of that joke. Um, And in week four, Tara spoke on the importance of not filtering our prayers to God. She said prayer is simply communication with God. Just as communication is key to any healthy relationship, it is also vital in our relationship with God. And and I took it a step further the following week by reminding us that communication is a two-way street. Right? Leaving the noise of our lives behind and making space for God to speak in the silence through His Word and Holy Spirit are vital to our spiritual lives as well. And in week six, Mark Ashley spoke to us about the importance of being in community. He said, God is calling us to a life of community. He has created us to worship Him in song and in corporate praise and in listening to His voice through those who have a gift of teaching and also to experience His grace through encouraging one another and lovingly correcting each other within the church body. And then last week, Brian Williams brought it. He brought it. And he brought an incredibly powerful message and he said, God's plan for community begins and ends with Him. Relationship with him is the foundation of our relationships with others and, and gives us the strength and peace to love one another sincerely in authenticity and mutual edification. Like I said, this has just been an incredible series, and the thing I think I love the most about it is that all of these these things that we've been talking about, they're just so practical. You can easily apply these things to your life. And, and, and uh, you may be wondering, well, if this is the last week of the series, the last Sunday, like what, what's left to talk about? Well, there are plenty of other spiritual disciplines uh, that we could talk about. Um, but today, 
I, I want you to get ready, get your tickets ready, get ready, because we are all have won a cruise on the stewardship. <laughs> dad joke, dad joke. Awesome. Dude, that was so the response I wanted. Wow. <laughs> the stewardship. Just kidding. Um, in many ways, I feel like the word stewardship gets a totally bad rep in church. Even, even though it's kind of a churchy word, like, especially, yeah, I, I feel like especially for those who don't fully understand the concept, uh, lots of times when we say the word stewardship in church, people automatically jump to the conclusion that we're going to talk about money. And, and, and we are, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's not all we're going to talk about because the concept of stewardship doesn't just apply to money. It, it, it applies to all different kinds of aspects of our life. The definition of stewardship, get ready for this, okay, so you may want to jot this down. Um, The definition of stewardship is the job of supervising or taking care of something. The job of supervising or taking care of something. See, that wasn't so bad, right? That was okay, right? Um, It wasn't so scary. The concept of stewardship applies to so many different aspects of our lives, it's crazy. Anything that requires care requires stewardship. And, and, and like, like, for instance, I am a very good steward of my computer, right? Like, like I clean it. I run hard drive checks up on it. Um, I regularly back it up. I make sure to get all the latest like software updates and stuff. And I, and I never, ever, ever leave web browser tabs open when I'm done using my computer, ever. And my wife, on the other hand, I'm pretty sure that my wife's computer basically just has like a chocolate handprint on the screen, like a chocolate milk handprint on the screen from the last time my boys used it. And she never backs up her computer. She never does any software updates ever. Um, And don't even get me started on how she leaves 72 web browser tabs open at all times on her computer. Like, uh, I mean, in, in my humble opinion, she's not a very good steward of that computer, right? <laughs> she's giving me the look. All right. But, and, and sometimes she'll bring it to me, and I'll be like, I don't know what to do with this thing. How can you think with this many tabs open? Like, whew. All right. Yeah. Her, her response is, you just don't understand how the female brain works, and and then, and, then I'm, and then I'm in the doghouse all of a sudden, and so, which I definitely am in now. Um, <laughs> right? So, so there, there are so many different ways that stewardship applies to our lives. Anything that requires care requires stewardship. And particularly within the context of Christianity, stewardship takes on new meaning because lots of times what we are called the steward, we don't own. Right? When we, co- when we became a Christian and you gave your heart over to Jesus, practically speaking, you are no longer, uh, you are now in charge, rather, of stewarding Jesus' heart. You don't own it, it's Jesus's. But you're still in charge of keeping it aligned with God. Even our relationships require stewardship. Husbands, are you good stewards of your wives? 
We know that you love her and care for her, but do you care about the things that she cares about? Do you steward um, uh, her? What kind of steward are you of her hopes and dreams? Do you steward them as well as you do your own hopes and dreams? Because after all, when you get married, there's that whole two become one thing, right? The list of ways stewardship applies in our lives is almost endless. So I think it's a good idea to see what the Bible says on the matter. Um, And I just want to give you just a few brief thoughts on two areas that can be the most difficult to steward. And and I already told you we're going to talk about money today, so let's just start there and and do that. Uh, It might surprise you to know that the Bible offers over 500 verses on prayer and fewer than 500 verses on faith, but it has over 2,000 verses on money. In fact, 15% of everything Jesus ever taught uh, was on the topic of money and possessions. That's more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. And yet we're so uncomfortable talking about it in church. I I think a lot of that discomfort uh, comes from past abuses of the topic by people with ill intentions. But nevertheless, the, the way we steward money was important to Jesus so it must be important to us, and, 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 which means we need to talk about it, right? And, and, and side note, um, this topic wasn't important to Jesus because he wanted to make sure you gave him enough of it. The reason why Jesus talked so much about money is because he knew that it was one of the major things that was going to constantly trip us up. But here's the thing, people are always misquoting scripture and saying that money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the Bible says. The, the, scriptures, the scripture that they're referring to is found in 1 Timothy 6.10. And you, and you don't have to turn there, but where, where it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money can confuse even the most well-meaning intentions. Money itself is just a tool that God gives us. And and the way we use it reveals a lot about our heart's condition. Matthew 6.21 clearly says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way we steward our money and our attitude towards giving it away says a lot about where uh, what we view as treasure and how much we trust the Lord to provide our every need as He promises in Matthew chapter 6. Generosity is something that is unarguably at the center of the heart of God. This is stated most clearly in the famous passage, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world, He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believed in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And for Christians, it's not so much whether or not we're called to give, because we're clearly called to give, it's more about how we give. And 2 Corinthians 9-7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. But what we often forget is that God is the most cheerful giver. 
And 2 Corinthians 8-9 reminds us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. And I believe that every gift we cheerfully give in Christ is simply an echo of what we have already received and the immeasurable riches to come. There's a lot more to stewarding our money than we've discussed today, but I want to move on to something that's, that can be even more difficult to steward well than our money, and that's our time. Uh, because the clock, it waits for no man, not even Mark Ashley, right? And um, Donald S. Whitley said that if people threw away their money as thoughtlessly as they throw away their time, we would think them insane. Yet time is infinitely more precious than money because money can't buy time. And it's so true, right? I mean, there's bookstores with whole areas dedicated to different philosophies of time management. But the concept's not a new one. The value of time is seen in several different areas of the Old and New Testament. but maybe none so clearly as the reminder in Proverbs 27.1 that says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. For most of us who are Christians, one key principle for us is to let our love for God and others be the driver in our disciplined, intentional planning. Because after all, it's not, it's not so much the amount of time you have as what you do with it, right? And that counts. And so letting our love for God drive the way we spend our time means guarding our time in devotion and prayer. Study after study confirms the importance of devoting the first few hours of our day to the things that we deem most important. Keeping the first things first, so to speak. And when our top priority each day is reorienting ourselves toward Jesus and hearing His voice in the Scriptures, we'll be more likely to create space for that early and less likely to leave it to chance that something will drown it out later. Letting the love for others drive, drive our time management, on the other hand, will likely mean spending our time on others in acts of love. Good works glorify God not by meeting His needs, because after all, He's God and He doesn't have any needs, right? Um, but through serving others, it glorifies God. And, and as Martin Luther so memorably put it, it is not God who needs your good works, but your neighbor. The greatest joys don't come from time squandered, hoarded, or selfishly spent, but from self-sacrificial love for others to the glory of God. When we steward our time and energy for the good of others, we will find our joy in their joy. Both of these topics could easily be their own sermon series, and and, and, and like I said, these are just some brief thoughts on both these topics. But in talking about stewardship, I think there's a deeper connection um, to spiritual disciplines that we need to take a moment and recognize. Let's take a look at Matthew 25. 
In this section of Scripture, Jesus is up on the Mount of Olives and is teaching his disciples all these different lessons through all these different parables. And most of them are centered around the second coming of Jesus, which is something we deeply believe in here at the mission. We believe that Jesus Christ came to the earth fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life and died an agonizing death so that we may be in right relationship with God again. We believe he was buried, and after three days in the tomb, he lived again. And after teaching his disciples over a period of time, the Bible tells us that he was taken up to heaven before their very eyes, but not before promising uh, them that he would return to earth in the same way that he left it. And on that day, there would be judgment for the wicked and the righteous alike. And Jesus describes that day clearly in Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. I'll give you a second to get there if you're going to turn there. Uh, Matthew 25, 31. And so this is, this, is, this is how Jesus describes the day when he returns. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Yes, Lord. All the nations will be gathered before him. Yes, Lord. He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Man. I think something that can be a little confusing about this passage, this parable, is that 
at first glance, it can seem like Jesus uh, tells us that this uh, that on the day of judgment, the way the two groups are going to be separated into heaven and hell is by their good works. And I, and I want to be clear that, that that isn't the case. That's not the case. Scripture does not contradict itself. And the Bible clearly, repeatedly teaches that salvation by faith through the grace of Jesus is not and not by our good works. The good works mentioned in this parable are not the cause of salvation, but the effect of salvation. Jesus is saying that the good works in this passage speaks, that that this passage speaks of our indirect connection to our heart's condition. We are being, are we being fully saturated and transformed by the grace of God daily? Or are we professing faith in Jesus with our mouths and not truly our hearts? Because Jesus' point is that there will be a trail of evidence either way. And it all leads to your heart's condition. You tracking with that? Grasping this concept is really important, otherwise you're just going to end up being confused. And and that's why I believe these habits of grace that we've been talking about for eight weeks are so vitally important. Because in essence, we have been talking about the stewardship of our own heart. Making sure that our hearts are continually aligned with God's and that the evidence is there to prove it. Because I'd be willing to bet if there's an area that we struggle with in stewardship, the source probably leads back to a struggle in our heart's condition. And I want to invite the worship team up as we close. But I I don't want you to miss this, because this is one of the most important things, one of the most important points. If you are a Christian and have experienced the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it is your duty to steward the gospel well. If anything that requires care requires stewardship, then the gospel needs you to care. Like an Olympic runner carrying the torch, passing it from person to person until one day the flame reaches its destination. And with the nations gathered at the feet of the newly returned king, enthroned in all of his glory, King Jesus, what will the stewardship of your heart say about you? What will the evidence of your life point to? For myself, I'm hoping to be found faithful on that day. I'm hoping to still be fully and freshly saturated with the wave after wave that is God's grace. We're going to close in a time of prayer. And I, and I just want to say at any point in this next, next song or, or whatever, if you feel like you need to pray, if you feel like you need to confess or, or whatever, like 
these front rows are wide open to you. Someone will come alongside you and pray with you. Or you can just grab a friend and pray right where you're at. Don't leave today with with skeletons in the closet or things blocking you from being saturated by God's grace. Don't leave here today with chains still intact. Let's break some chains today in the name of Jesus. So we want to, I'm going to pray, and and anytime during this next time, if you want to pray with somebody, come forward um, to the front row, or just grab a friend and pray right where you're at. There's no location requirement for prayer. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a light to our feet. God, thank you that you care so much about our heart's condition, Lord. Father, help us to grasp this concept of stewarding your heart. God, help us to be good stewards, Lord. We've been given so much, Lord. And it's our duty, Lord, to to take care of what you've given us, Lord. So help us to be good stewards, Lord. God, let this concept sink deep into our hearts and come out in our actions and our lives, God. Father, we love you. Jesus, you are the name above all other name. You are the healer. You are the chain breaker. You are the maker of the mountains and the tamer of the oceans, and we crown you Lord of all in this place. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here in this moment to to do whatever you want to do in hearts and minds, Lord. Um, We give you free reign, Lord. And just as the ushers come forward, God, we just, Lord, we in keeping in mind all that you've given us, Lord, we give back to you what is already yours, Lord. Um, Father, help us to keep this concept of good stewardship at the forefront of our minds when, when we're talking about money and time and relationships and, 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 and our hearts, God. Help us to be good stewards. Lord, we we love you. Lord, we open this time to you to do whatever you will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.